Before we begin this episode, I would like to acknowledge that it was spoken and recorded on the ancestral lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I would like to pay my respects to any elders past, present or emerging who may be listening and to point out that we are continuing an oral storytelling tradition that is thousands of generations old in this country and that sovereignty was never ceded. Yes, I always feel on edge if I'm not doing something and I don't know where that comes from exactly. Uh, Why have I got it? My brother and sister didn't get it. Um, They're quite content with what they do was I'm always you know cutting things out like I, I can't go to the supermarket because I think I could do something with some of this <laughs> like I think I've been on one like real holiday where you actually go to the beach and there's no art galleries. Welcome to A World of One's Own, a podcast where I speak with a series of artists I respect and admire. I'm Ty Snaith and today I'm speaking with Elizabeth Gower about an early work of hers called Precious Life. Our conversation takes place in her Collingwood studio, surrounded by 40 years' worth of tiny pieces of cut paper from junk mail and packaging, all sorted into colours and arranged in trays, big and small. We discuss the practice of collecting and sorting and how this bowerbird approach has adapted and changed over her life. How long have you been in this space for? Oh, I had a space actually upstairs, so I've been in this downstairs space, so I keep moving around um probably three years well that's good it's settled yes and you have um you are a bit of a bower bird I can see yes but most of the things I collect are fairly small and they're flat they're paper generally which I think might have been why I sort of started collecting uh cut out images because it was easier easier than the actual real object yes so a little bit of economy there um and things, I have stackable containers, so when I do move studios, because I actually counted the other day, I've had 37 different workspaces Whoa. in my life, including like the kitchen table when I was at art school and yeah. the garage, <laughs> you know, or whenever I was working on a piece, like sometimes you might just have to rent a big space for a short time or something like that. Yeah, to do a certain show and then yes. or a certain project. Different yeah. studios, different times, I tend to make big work when I've got a small studio and small works when I've got a big one. So it That's never very really Freudian works or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually going to start um, by talking about the work that's in the Mornington Peninsula um, Regional Gallery collection, which equally is an unusual um, size, I guess, and sort of yeah. uh, what do you call that, dimensions. Yes. Um, but it it's all I know about it. I've seen it in the flesh. I got them to, to show me and we will be hanging it, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Precious Life from 1994. It's a long uh, sheet of drafting film, probably two metres, could be longer, uh, with a large circle in the middle. And the circle is painted in sort of a silver reflective paint of uh, thousands of little images from everyday life. Uh, it comes out of body of work called Beyond the Everyday or Fragile Life from the sort of that started in the late 80s, went through the 90s where I would be finding imagery, um, still collecting the imagery but not collaging it, just tracing around it, drawing it. And so most of the works, um, so it came out of a history of maybe 10 years of working with Mm. found imagery. And each object... Mm. um, 
is one of a kind. Like there's no repits, one aeroplane, one car, one mm. baby, one high chair. You so know, they're kind of one like iron. symbols, right? They're, they're Symbolic of contemporary yeah. life, I mm. thought. Um, so it comes out of a body of work. It's not sort of a I particularly did that for that okay. work. It's what I call um, uh, found images works as a, as a big overview title. Um, sometimes it's called Can't Remember Where I Put It, um, Visual <laughs> Overload, Then and Now. And it actually did come out of um, having children living mm. in a house after living in a warehouse, mm. getting junk mail, which I didn't get when I was living in the warehouse, and starting to sort of notice this sort of avalanche of stuff. objects and yeah. stuff and ideas and um, huh. and I think looking as the children grow, you know, you get all those encyclopedias and I love all those yeah. kids' drawings and um, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so it sort of came out of collecting a lot of that imagery mm. and just the sort of overload. Just just prior to that work, um, I'd been working on nylon mm. um, hangings, uh, painting on the nylon and a little bit of collage on the nylon. And it's, I guess that's where that became Fragile Life, that series, and then... Mm. This work was an extension of that. So, yes, they gradually <laughs> faded away. Well, I was really drawn to it. I mean, when I got to choose who I spoke to, I was, of course, wanting to speak to you anyway. Um, but I was drawn to the work because it seems so sort of, um, yeah, fragile is the right is the right mm. word and, and almost flimsy, which mm. as mm. a metaphor. Fleeting. You know, yeah. In a way. And, and life is a bit like that, isn't it? Well, I the, think, the I mean, a lot of it was happening in, in that 10 years prior to 95, um, you know, bought and sold two houses, moved interstate, started a new job, resigned, resigned twice, uh, moved back to Melbourne, had a baby, um, my mother died, um, my husband's mother died, we were living temporarily, we came back to my started a new job. Like it was all wow. sort of like chaos, mm. in, well, not chaos, but it was all, and again, it was that sweeping in of your life, you know, mm. sort of goes, comes right in. And then it sort of pulls out again. More by that stage, the kids had gone to school. It's <laughs> so, weird, isn't it? So huh? maybe I had a little bit more time to reflect. And to sort almost. Like yes. there's a process in your work, isn't there, of sorting and reflecting. You can tell because without yes. being able to sort, you can't make this kind of work. Yes. Yeah, sort of um, it might just look like a car or a, an iron to someone else, a sort of symbolic sort of contemporary image. But it also contains all this memory mm. of, you know, of the, the car that we had or, you know, the iron, you know, always ironing. Yeah. Um, they're kind of like very familiar objects in contemporary life. So it, that series of works, I didn't want it to be personally my life. Mm. It's more just this is contemporary So that it life. speaks to an audience as well and people can yes. see their own things in the picture, which is important. And in that one, one image kind of blurs into another. Like mm. you, It's like a sort of continual sort of line in a way and, mm. and so you find yourself sort of, you know, looking at a, a shoe uh, or something and then the shoe is inside a bucket which is then blends into and becomes... Um, you know, a book. Or... It is a little bit like that. I, I think it was at Freud who, um, you know, you, what you see in a picture is sort of says yes. a lot about yourself so, yes. or what you um, immediately identify or the first word that comes to your head yes. is where you're, what you're preoccupied with. But yes. there is that sort of unconscious but, yeah, in your work where you can get lost in this sort of you can do the magic eye thing where you blur your eyes a bit yes. or you can go into the detail and see a wine bottle. <laughs> well, I think the work 
is kind of always been a bit like that, even early 70s works. It was made of resin and paint and mm. gestural marks and, again, it was all found paper, it was all found mark making um, and it was all sort of cut apart and stuck back together again. Mm. Um, and it was this sort of field of, you know, marks. But then when you come close, there's all little subtle details and, you know, nuances that you sort of move through the work and layers and layers because um, the works were literally layered. But for you, with a bit of time now and, and perspective, so you can look back at those works you made in the 70s, 80s, yes. this one was in, from the 90s, but can you sort of identify parts, like untangle parts that re- you remember part of your life that you might have forgotten otherwise? Oh, for sure. That's cool. For sure, because I think the work is embedded in it and as soon as you see a work it all sort of comes back that the time that time mm. um, but a lot of the work I can't make now mm. as well like when I had a um a survey show and I had some works from the 70s that I still had they'd been in a sort of little crate box thing that I made keep everything yeah um, but it had all gone yellowed and shriveled up because it had been <laughs> squashed and moved yeah. from a lot of studios um, and, I, and it was made out of like wax paper, for example, lunch wrap paper oh, wow. or newsprint. And I said, oh, well, I could remake it. I've got the prototype here I'm, mm. because I don't want to show it brown. It was no. a temporary installation. It was temporary work. Yeah. So I remade it. And it was weird because so I weird. can't make that work anymore. But I had to make it for this show and it was yeah. sort of like, oh, why did I do that? It's kind of like getting dressed up as your 20-year-old self or yes. something, isn't it? Yes, and being it is okay a bit like with that. that. Fitting yes. into your old jeans and going, this is fine. Yes, yes. <laughs> or you look at just sort of what you used to wear and you think, oh, my God, like why? <laughs> but I love that we're almost different people. I mean, it was you, but you can sort of yes. look back at your old self and go, this is yes. now where I where I am. Well, the weird thing about being older is that you can sort of look at yourself when you're in it you can't see yourself mm. and uh, you're just in it. And then you've got a little bit of a history and then a 10-year history and then a 20 years. And then it all makes sense. Tell me it all makes sense after. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, it reminds me of when I had the chat with uh, Sally Smart in the first series of this. Mm-hmm. I loved what she said something to me um, she said, you know, don't ever kill them. Don't ever kill them. She's like, it, it It stays alive somewhere in you and you might need at some point to go back and, and exactly. re, you know, reinvigorate that yes. or well, resuscitate it's, it. It's a bit like um, your life. I mean, yeah. ideas that you've had 30 years ago, you can still redress them. You can read the same book again. You can make the same mm. art again. You can redress everything. Mm. And art is a bit like that. Mm. And I'd certainly agree with that the... Last show I had at Sutton where I had these little in-transit collages, but I also had some 80s work um, that I'd had in the plan drawers since 1980. Wow. And uh, and I'd had them for years and I thought, oh, I must finish them. And uh, because at the time I was a little bit more fiddly Mm. and they were like the under collage. And I've shown them and everyone was sort of like, oh, my God, you know, they've sort of got another... Another reading. Another life or another yes. pers- another in a different light. A, an idea can be boiling away, yeah. simmering away for quite a number of years yeah. and then suddenly you find this little beginning of something mm. that you never knew where to take it and then suddenly, you know, five years later you look at it and you think, oh, I know exactly mm. what where to go now. Or it just, it's just been simmering in the background and before you know it you've sort of 
gone down this direction that you didn't think you would. Mm. Like I didn't know I would. I didn't know I would do what I do now. Mm. Um, just froze, doesn't it? The I, young twenty-eight-year-old was just doing other stuff, and yeah. I thought I'd do that forever. Uh-huh. And then when I was doing the paintings, I thought, oh, finally I've nailed it. I can just do these paintings. I could do this forever, I every really, time. I really identify with that part of your practice because I feel like I've never been a painter or a drawer or a, and I've always had collage and, and things in my practice. But you feel this pressure, I think, early on to identify style. with one thing. Mm. Like be able to call yourself a painter or a, and then I feel like as you get older, does that ease a little bit where you can say, well, I'm a number of things at once? I think it was something that a lot of male artists did. I don't know many female artists who are that succinct mm. because I think your life changes so much. I, I wouldn't know which work to keep making, but mm. I certainly I had a theory that it was a particular generation of male artists, not contemporary male artists now because I think they're, responding to more direct What's things. Going They're on. not keeping to their style mm. in that way. Um, so you think women, women were leading the way then in a way? Particularly I think with the women's movement and feminism mm. where you were given a sense that uh, you could do what you want. Mm. Um, and so women did start to respond to their life rather than trying to respond to the outside or the over there world. or the art world mm. or well, obviously some women do. You've got some really good, you know, minimal artists and abstractionists and everything like that. But I guess women started to respond to what they want to respond to, not mm. trying to fit into a style. Which is so important that ha- that happened for, for our generation and the next generation of, of Well, ma- the male artists has uh, um, experienced that too because they've been given permission not to yeah. have the sort of style that you stick with for, you know, 50 years. And I think it's opened up everything. So you get most artists now, you know, they make a video, they'll put an installation, mm, then they're doing paintings. Do a podcast. <laughs> and sometimes you can't pinpoint whose work it is sometimes mm. because they don't have that signature brand. Mm. And you you mentioned before your practice has has been ongoing through having children and through moving 36 times and you've never stopped, have you? You've always made work. Yes, it's kind of like a... Uh, Yes, it's sort of like an affliction. Yeah. Um, yes, it is. It's like you never really get cured. It's like this perpetual cold. Um, yes, I always feel on edge if I'm not doing something and I don't know where that comes from exactly, uh, why have I got it. My brother and sister didn't mm. get it. Um, they're quite content with what they do. It was, I'm always, you know, cutting things out. Like I, I can't go to the supermarket without thinking I could do something with some of this. <laughs> like I think I've been on one like real holiday where you actually go to the beach and there's no art galleries. I take my work to the beach with me. Oh, I'm sitting on the beach thinking <laughs> maybe I could do something with sand. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or I start taking pictures of all the buildings and, you know, you yeah. can't sort of stop your brain from thinking about what can I, you know, oh, look at that colour. Wow, look at mm. that. And um, it's just the way you're sort of wired yeah. somehow. And when you're not allowed to work, it feels really unnatural, doesn't it? It's not... Well, when you have times where you're sort of, you know, in a lull or you're so busy doing other things, yeah, you feel sort of like you haven't had time to think. Mm. I, I do find myself I get like overload and you just I get to that point sometimes where I think I need to go to the studio because I'm over, I've got too much in my head. Yeah, 
And and sometimes I feel like I get overwhelmed by fits of rage about things or anger and my partner knows me well enough now to say you either need to go out or go to the studio. Yes, yes. <laughs> just leave us. Because the world, go. yes, you just don't know what to do yeah. about the issues in the world. And That's I've right. often wished I could be that kind of artist, yeah. you know, who could address the political or environmental issues in a really direct way. But yeah. I kind of... Don't know how, where to start. Don't but even do, know. But you are your work does address it in a different way because people can experience that sorting via your work, and so I think there's a. Well, I get a sense of real ease when I look at your work, like a kind of mm-hmm. comprehension that's beyond. It's a language beyond mm-hmm. words mm-hmm. that makes me think. Oh, oh, that makes sense then. Yes, but in a yes. way that our brain can understand, but without sort of an explanation or you know, and a tag along. So you don't need a tag with mm. your work because it's it makes sense when you look at it. Yeah, well, it's kind of like uh, um, quiet in a way mm. sometimes or the, la- the newer work might be a little bit less in your face mm. um, because it's sort of quiet, which, but it's all made up of all this clutter oh, of nice. consumption, you know, it's the, the clutter of the world. Mm. But when you go up close, there's tiny little bits of text and, and I get really into it. You know, I'm cutting that one <laughs> sentence out, you know, and thinking everyone's going to read that sentence, you know, and they just go, they walk in, walk past, and they don't even notice it. Every little price on some of that work is a different price. Mm. Um, no one's going to know that. But it's like, it's like there's all this uh, bombardment at you all the time. You know, this one's only you know seven ninety nine, but this one's seven you know eighty nine. You know, should you buy the eighty nine one or the nine? And I'm like that in the supermarket. You know, I'm thinking, oh, should I buy that one? You know, oh, they've just had advertising, that's why it's expensive. But this one's probably okay. You know, it's all that brain stuff in your wow. head. Yeah. And a series I did uh, like this work over here, which was the saving series, that came to purposely out of well saving things myself. Mm. Uh, having a big studio, not this one, another one in between a little studio, and getting out some of this stuff, like yeah. these um Yeah, you have a trays I'll, there. I'll explain it for people listening. They're, they're big trays that sort of the bread in bread comes in, tip-top trays, mm-hmm. but somehow Elizabeth's found one of every colour of the rainbow, because nearly. Because collected them when <laughs> they made them of every colour. Back in the eight, I started collecting. And then so you store your blue bits in that blue. Yes. It's, for me, that is an absolute dream. Like to have yes. that kind of system <laughs> is something. That... I'll never get rid of them. No <laughs> um, but when I um, when I had a big studio, I, I lay them out like a pallet, just mm. like here. You know, I'll lay them out. But mm. this has got bigger bits of paper in. And so I noticed that I, I had stuff from when my son was drinking formula, you know, I've got the label from the wow. formula. So you're talking, you know, 30, he's 34 yeah. now. Yeah. And I think, oh, my God, like I must be a hoarder. No, well, I had this, <laughs> I, I come from a long family, a long line sort of, of hoarders. But from, I, we call ourselves collectors now. Yes. Uh, I did a work last year for the State Library and uh, the, the media lady said you need to stop calling yourself a hoarder because you're actually a collector. And yes, I thought, because we huh. have a purpose. But People now, you know, this idea of thrift, it doesn't, it's not as common. And I think people just sort of get rid of things so yes. quickly. And the whole Marie Kondo thing where if it doesn't spark joy, I'm like, just, everything sparks joy. I know. That's a, Why are you I boring people? I can't do it because I, I've listened to her thing, you know. <laughs> you can't do it either. I, can't I like do the it. fabric, you know. I don't like the style, but I could use But I could it. use that. Exactly. So you never get rid of it. No. In fact, it's worse because you go through the wardrobe and you think, oh, 
Oh. <laughs> I would have thrown that away a minute ago, but now does it strike joy, a yeah. certain kind of joy? Every, yeah, it's because I think there's a curiosity that a lot of people are lacking in life where they can't see. You know, it's like kids that say I'm bored and there's always something you can you, yes. can, you can point that curiosity to, but not everyone has that. Yes, I don't think I've ever been bored. No. Ever. <laughs> and I always think it must be quite nice just to actually have a rest. <laughs> but um, I, I think uh, the other thing that what I, why I started collecting packaging and things, you know, supermarket and detritus from consumption and daily life mm. was when I had kids and that um, compulsion to make art, mm. but you've got limited time, uh, limited time in the, alone in the yep. studio. And so it's almost like finding a way through everyday activities yep. where you can get excited. Yep. So even just going to the supermarket is kind of exciting. And you feel you're like you're doing for, something useful Because I'm well. looking for yeah. green packaging, yeah. you know, and it's or great. something like that or the multiple images or you're walking along the street and you're noticing the shadows and you're noticing yeah. the all that sort of stuff. It's sort of like a way of, yes, you know, to, 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 have, to reflect. Yeah. I mean, I think the that's what artists do and writers and you know musicians and poets and mm. you are just yeah picking up the thing off the ground and finding something in it whereas mm. most people just walk over it and just you know not even noticing things mm. but, but it I can think be most in... artists are doing that in a way they're pointing out what mm. other people don't see you could say that about the impressionists were showed as colors we could never look at a shadow now without thinking it's lilac you know, That's I used, true. used to think that they were, were grey. So so during that time when you were, you know, I remember it really clearly when you've got two kids and you're trying to, at different ages, and you're trying to just keep everything going, you know, how did you, yeah, reconcile the fact that you also had to squeeze art in there and how did you sort of, I guess, justify that to your daily routine? I think to some extent I've always had to squeeze art in, even before I had children, because I've always had to have a day job, always um, had to be able to afford to have a studio. Um, there's always been distractions and time limits in the first place. I don't think I've ever been full-time in the studio. It's always been half a week hmm. or at night because hmm. um, you're always so busy doing things. Um, having children was, you know, the third factor and maybe harder for me because I was also teaching and a mother and an artist. And sometimes I used to think I've got um, a triple um, burden and because I'm a si- female on your own artist. you for a while, weren't you? Like single mother uh, for a not, while? Not, no, no. Oh, okay. No, I've always had, so had the support yeah. there, but we don't have any grandparents or anything. So it was pretty much, you know, two artists. And it was like a sort of um, a handicap you know, I'm a woman artist and I'm a teacher and I'm a mother. You know, I've got a triple whammy here. You just have to work with animals as well <laughs> and then you've got the full set. <laughs> so there were times when I gave up teaching, mm. which was seen as, um, you know, you're destroying your academic career. So yeah. I gave up teaching to because I could do artist and mother. I guess I had my children in my mid-30s and so I'd already established myself in my head mm. as this practising artist. Mm. And so whatever happens, I'm going to fit it around. Um, and that's quite important. It's a juggle, but I feel like it's always a juggle. Like even now in lockdown, you I had never, nothing else yeah. to do. 
it's a struggle because there seems to be so much you've got to go to Bunnings, you've got to do the show. Doctors, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, It's exactly. always staff, you know. Yeah, so but I, I feel you... like it, it does, I mean, lots of younger artists sort of ask me and I know you get asked all the time when you've had children, like when did you know it was the right time? And I was like, there is never a right time. No. Like it doesn't matter how sorted you've got everything, it's always going to throw you into yes. chaos. And it's almost like you just sort of have to jump in if you're going to do it. You have to accept the chaos. Yeah. I think. Um, I think it would be very hard if you were an artist who required incredible yeah. uh, alone time, you know, because you, you're you not going to get it. Yeah, that's right. And I think my survival in sort of fitting my art into the family or getting my family to fit into my art, <laughs> I'm not sure which came first mm. um, or whether I was that kind of artist in the first place yeah. that my work could adapt yeah. to it. Yeah. Yes, because some artists... It's not easy to no. adapt because they're on a particular trajectory and they just can't adapt. You know, mm. it has to be, it requires what what they have, whereas somehow I was able to mm. adapt and work in a kind of piecemeal way to begin with. You know, like I'd be cutting out uh, things, collecting things while I'm with the kids. Yeah. You know, you'd go to the art shop with the kids. You'd yeah. go to, you'd, Same. you'd do all that. Yeah. So you're not wasting studio time doing any prep stuff. <laughs> yeah. Studio time was when you're consolidating, when mm. you're working, when you're getting it done. Yeah. I also um, yeah. would collect my thoughts and work at night. Mm. Yeah, that was a quiet time where you knew the phone wouldn't ring, <laughs> yeah. no one can get you, and there was those few moments in the studio. Mm. And I always say to all women artists, you have to have a space at home yeah. as well as outside if you Always, can, yeah. but you've got to have something at home because there'll be times when you can't get to the studio yep. but you need a space because you might just have an hour, two yep. hours. Um, yep. But um, I remember reading about Barbara Hepworth yep. uh, as, as a role model and, and she had triplets. She had four kids actually, one son, and then she had triplets. And you think, because you'd heard about Barbara Hepworth, yep. one of the few women yep. artists that yeah, I'd heard she of. she stone and stuff. Outside. <laughs> Outside, she her studio. I've been to her studio. Yeah, it's not that amazing. big, no. but she's got this big sort of outside area, mm. and you think, ah, oh, yeah, makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, and I think it is something that um, you know that practice of it seeping into the rest of your life. I'm, I'm obsessed with the garden, but it made me think before when you were talking about old ideas sort of becoming relevant again. You mm. know, when you plant something and you forget. And then, and then it suddenly springs yeah, up. Yes, or a good yes, season good. with yes. rain and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, that iris I planted three years yes, ago. Yes, exactly. And I think that trial and error as well of just going through without too much of a, a plan, I find that mm. some, I find it discomforting when artists have a real plan of what their next 20 years looks like. Well, I don't <laughs> even know if I decided to be an artist. You know how some people <laughs> say, I knew when I, I wanted to be an artist. I think, did I actually, I just sort of, it happened. It just seemed to happen. Yeah. I don't even think I had a conscious. I thought I might be a, a record cover designer because that's <laughs> all I knew. <laughs> yeah. Well, at what point did you actually think, oh, I am an artist? I think it's a few years after art school when you sort of going along with the sort of wave of having a group show with your peer group and uh, living with another artist and then organising an exhibition and probably by the time you're actually exhibiting, you think, oh, well, maybe I am an artist. But I was also 
a waitress and I was also a high school teacher. Yeah. And then a mother. As and well. Then, yeah. Um, so it was probably definitely uh, saying I was a woman artist was a very key point. That was like in the, uh, after, after the um, International Women's Year in 75, mm. that was like a very conscious I'm not just an artist, I'm a woman artist, mm. and that was a statement. Mm. And you were well in that, weren't you? You were, yes. like, right at the centre of that. Yeah. So it's not that I, I never called myself an artist. I didn't intend, when I went to art school, I didn't have any idea where it would lead hmm. um, is what I meant. That It's not that I didn't identify as an artist. I just never really planned it. Mm. Yeah, I just seemed hmm. to go along that way. You found it. Yes, and it suited me. Yes, so it's more um, definitely identifying uh, with strength as a woman artist in uh, with the uh, feminist movement, but probably just a little bit before that. And the, and you have done some covers. I found one of yes. your books by Janine Burke in the op shop the other day, oh, and I bought it. But I, it it spoke to me from a long way across the room, and. Mm-hmm. You have done a few things like that, haven't you? So design is yes. not alien to you. Um, yeah, well, Janine's book, it's called Speaking, and it is about, I think, four women who um, living in Melbourne, I think in the 80s possibly, and, uh, you know, sorting out their life, their relationships, their future, all that sort of thing. And so Janine and I used to sort of chat about different things in the same way that when she was writing the book on um, Joy Hester, mm. We used to talk about Joy like we knew her. Mm-hmm. You know, she became, mm. um, the research becomes your life, even mm. though it's a novel. And I think in terms of um, an artist, writer, they're very similar in that way. So, I think she's an amazing woman. I've, I've been lucky enough to work with Janine as well and yes. I've read all of her, well, not, not her fiction, I've read her books about Sunday Read and Joy Hester. Yes, yes. Incredibly important though because without those books, um, like you said, those women don't come alive for us and was actually quite inspiring for me to do this series because I think Janine is quite a quiet kind of hero in Mm. Australia in that for us to know those stories is extremely important. Well, the book that she did on the um, Australian women artists from, you know, to 1940, you know, from 18, um, I remember seeing that show and and buying that book. I hadn't (laughs) met Janine but that was like, you know, I'm one year out of art school or early days of art school out. And uh, and there weren't any, you know, female lecturers in the mm. painting department. There were there was Pam Hallandor in drawing and Sandra Leveston in printmaking, mm. um, but uh, as professional artists. And so suddenly there's this book of all these artists, you know, mm. who existed apart from Margaret Preston, who mm. you'd heard of, and it was a... Uh, it changed your life literally, yeah. Because suddenly visibility. you realise that there were other women. It's a, it's like a, a mentor in a way, mm. and you you devour it. Well, how did they survive? How did they cope? What exactly. did they paint? You know, how did they make a living? Uh, what did they do? And you just sort of devour it, trying to find out. Well, how did they function? I yes. think it's really important that women identify with those and perhaps, feelings. Perhaps male artists had them too but they never spoke mm. about them because they're, they're, they're presenting, you know, the the heroic, mm. you know, I know what I'm doing person. <laughs> we all know the truth. <laughs> yes, that, that was the image that you would project. Mm. In um, order to be seen as bona fide or Yes, you and know, serious, to be taken seriously. Yeah. And I think, you know, women artists feel that same. You want to be taken seriously too. Yeah. And so, like, when I first had my kids, 
you know, I never took them with me. I you'd mm. sort of keep them hidden in the background. It's sad, isn't it? It's different it, now, but yes. And you did. I mean, your kids were visible in. I, in I a, mean, in a way, because yeah. they have to be in the end. But yeah. you not like today. No. Um, like you might go to the odd opening. But, yeah. Because you ha- couldn't get a babysitter or something, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you try, or you know, you try not to talk about them too much because uh, people would identify you as. Oh, you get you know. asked to be in all these shows about motherhood all yeah. of a sudden, which I'm, I've never made work about motherhood. Not know? directly. It's yeah. just all indirectly, yeah. isn't it? You don't want to be typecast no. in a way. And and speaking of just looking back over the time, you have an amazing collection of um, photographs of yourself standing in front of your work, mm. which I think, did they show that at ACCA? Yeah. The whole collection of photos. Oh, There's a selection. More. There's more. <laughs> well, the one had so much wall space. How so many I, are there? I'd say there's probably another wall. Wow. As the as photographs changed, because it started off analog, and you'd have a, a you know twenty five or thirty six roll of film mm. photographing the work in the studio, and you've got like three shots left. Oh, I photographed everything five <laughs> times. I'll oh, take a picture of me standing in front of the work. But it's such a great and work in itself. Yes, it's, it's mesmerizing. Actually. And then it, as as you now you've got digital. Um, like I have like <laughs> twenty shots of me standing in front of the same work twenty yeah. times. So. Often you have the same. In in that work, it actually is the place and the photographer mm. as well because that's like the history of the art world. So it's like a triple history because mm. um, a lot of them are artists and they're people who were friends at the time, um, curators or the gallery director that is no longer the gallery. Doesn't You know, mm. there's like a history. Different type of that history. That runs concurrent sort of Behind underneath. the lens. Yeah. yeah, interesting. And I find that bit you know, as interesting as yeah. um, even when I look at it and you think, I didn't know I knew Paul Taylor then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or something like that. You think, oh, right, yes, I remember that because I remember that. I mean, I've still got my memory, mm. which is another thing. <laughs> I sort of thought, what if I get Alzheimer's? Well, at least I've got the photographs yeah. to remind me. And maybe you'll make different work then. I mean, maybe your brain will sort of work things out in a different way. You don't know. No. I mean, I've done a lot of works like that in a strange way that I never really knew that I was doing. Mm. Like I I did a big installation of the names of all the people I've spoken to in 2005. And um, and it was 1999, you know, and my generation always thought we'd be dead by then or we'd be too old anyway (laughs) to enjoy it. It was always this pivotal moment where you think, 99, it became some sort of big thing. And so I said to John, my partner, why don't we have like a huge New Year's Eve party and we'll invite everybody we know. Let's have the big. So I started writing down everyone oh, I knew. Oh, the names. And of all different parts of my life. Wow. And then I thought, oh, we're going to have to hire a venue. <laughs> um, and then I'm looking at prices of venues thinking, oh, this is going to cost like thousands of dollars. And so we didn't do it. But as I was thinking back to all the people I knew and uh, in different, all the people I went to art school with, you know, everyone you know, people mm. you work with, your family, you know, uh, the parents of all the kids, you know, yeah. starting in 1955, which is not actually when I was born, but was when I was conscious. And each panel is a list of names. So it's only like mum, dad, you know, and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it sort of goes small again when I was overseas and then it goes really big oh, when you're teaching. And then, and it, So I spent years just um, 
researching it and collecting it. From your own life, yeah. It's called conversations because every one of those people has spoken to me and influenced my life in some way. It's going to make your funeral easy. Well, I thought I was going to die when I stalled and I said to John, oh, my God, I don't think I'm going to die. What a coincidence. I've made this work. Just put oh, the no. coffin in the middle of the garden. This is going to be incredible. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> but I mean, I'm I glad did. you didn't die. I'm really glad you didn't No, die. but it was would have been a perfect setting. <laughs> but it was a, a it was a huge installation. It was in the Margaret Lawrence Gallery and I used the, um, it created like this big sort of room. It's on my website if you want to have a look. Yeah. It's called Conversations. And, um, and so each panel, so it's like a room that you sort of walk into mm. and it's like this sort of, commemorative boards in a way and it's just alphabetical amazing but the one thing I felt was quite moving as well because people are in your life for certain periods of time so maybe there's the name the name the name the name and then you lost touch you moved away you fell out people passed away Mm. um, all that sort of thing and so it's kind of like and to me on a personal level it's incredible because I know all these people who have been really important to me. Mm. Um, and But on an outsider's point of view, it's like it's your life too. Mm. You know, if you spent three years researching, you would have a list as well. Everyone has that, yeah. And and they're all important. They've mm. all influenced. They've yeah. all, it's not the conversation I had with them. It's I remember a conversation I they had mm. with me or how they influenced me mm. and when this pivotal moment when you meet people. Am I, am I on the list? Yes. Oh, excellent. <laughs> You're probably there. Down. Yes, you would be there, yes. But I think that, um, again, getting back to that notion of somehow we were talking before about how you're trying to make sense of things mm. and, and, and reflecting on life and things and these other works that I've done, which I sort of have an umbrella title called Inventories. It's I'm sort of like sorting through my life as yeah. well as sorting through the teabag tags. I'm sorting through um, all of it mm. in a way. And the the conversations piece, it's like the portrait of the artist as the young woman, the photographs. Mm. There's the um, places, places I've been. Did you see the show at Sutton Project? Yes, yeah. Well, that was like from 1980 yeah. um, analogue. It's amazing. Um I think it is a way of saving things that don't take up as much space in a way through photographs. I actually, I've curated about five shows about collecting. Mm. Uh, one of them, the other collecting, which was unusual things artists collect, you know, the, the crap yeah. that people don't think is worthy to collect. Then the art of collecting in camera, which was, this is when cameras were analogue, this is in 1996, when there was still artists would collect through photography mm. and some really great stuff, you know, people who just photographed red cars or yeah, obsessive. someone who just, you know, photographed the sky. <laughs> but before it became digital where everyone does this now. Yeah. Or photographed their dinner, which was mm. analogue, you know. Wow. That was like, whoa, why would you waste the film? But now but everyone does it. Everyone does it now because it's digital. So I couldn't really do the show now, but That's at so the time. The other one was um, the retrieved object, which I was doing when I was working with you on that exhibition, Excess Baggage, yeah, when you were a right. student. Yeah, I loved did that. Did you help install? I, I know did, Kate yeah. just did. Yes. Yeah. That was collecting from the op shop. Yeah. And then the last one was 
regimes of value, which was collecting trash. Yeah. Artists who collected trash. So, and I didn't even know that I was, in a sense, curating shows about collecting. It just seemed to be um, an idea for a show. Oh, yeah, so many artists I've noticed are are using stuff directly from the op shop. The op shop, this is in the year 2000. The op shop became the new art store. Yeah, because you could afford it. And people were, you know, using breadboards and, you know, all sorts of stuff to paint on. And and so it became an idea. And so before you know it, I'm curating it. And I feel like that maybe the work that's in the Mornington Peninsula collection is just the tip of an iceberg, really, when you think about that. It was that moment in Mm. time when I was doing that kind of work and, um, I suppose getting back to that work, yeah. it's you say it looked very fleeting and uh, pale because it is. Yeah, and it was a point where it you were. It was a point where, you know, I'm reflecting on life and it's fleeting and yeah. that, that whole era has gone yeah. now. I think, you know, it's been so nice to actually be in your space today and talk about how, you know, visually you can have this almost like a graph of your life in colours and shapes and repetitive patterns and systems and then, you know, just from one trigger that made us talk about this, the, the fading one, but now mm. you look around and there's like some are really rich and some are really dense and complicated mm. and really it's just a sort of uh, Venn diagram or graph of how we live our lives. Yes, and, and that sort of passing um, times in yeah. your life because it it does change. Yeah. You know, even uh, just culture changes, you know, the, all the technology changes, everything changes. And what's around us changes and, and we that respond to that. how you respond. You know, yeah. I mean, when you look at, um, you know, the internet and iPhones, I mean, it's revolution. Huge. And Huge we, and But it's so gradual and then things like climate change, which is yes. changing the way we live and, and it makes me think, well, what is your work going to look like in 20 years' time? You know, I can't wait to see. Well, we're all going to landfill. <laughs> Don't say that. I probably feel a bit bad about that. I feel like I could, talk, I could talk to you, like, all day, but I'm noticing that, you know, we've probably been talking for a very long time it's already. It's been a big edit. It's been so, so lovely to be in your studio with you, and I just wanted to say thank you for having me here. Oh, thank you for coming. It's been a pleasure. And I'm going to hang that work in the show. So we're having a show at the end of all of this. We'll have the conversation and the work that we'll see the light of day so everyone listening can actually come and visit it. So I'll see you then. (laughs) Come down to the show. (laughs) I've always admired Elizabeth Gower's practice since she was one of my lecturers at art school. Making a positive and elegant product from the bombardment of images we receive daily is so impressive. I love the way she talks about the sweeping in and her commitment to keeping everything, even all the names of everyone she's ever encountered. Her advice to young artist mums to accept the chaos and even to try to build it into your practice was a real gem. Our discussion of Janine Burke happened to be quite serendipitous because Janine will be speaking on the public panel at the Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery in April. This panel will be documented and broadcast live, so keep an eye out for that too. This special edition series of A World of One's Own was commissioned by the Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery as part of their 50th year celebrations. Audio production by Camilla Hannon and music by Fia, spelt P-H-I-A, from her album The Ocean of Everything. All five new episodes can be found on the MPRG website and your favourite podcast player. The exhibition will run from the 4th of March 2021 until the end of April. 
To hear more episodes of A World of One's Own, visit tysnaith.com.